No my heart and my kitten I hotaka welcome to the panel RNZ National Wallace Chapman with you today countdown is a step closer to adopting body cameras worth it as a security measure or the overstepping of privacy rights can you see a day where we all wear body cameras and Jennifer Lee's Marshman writes, there's more regulation and training of builders and hairdressers than there is of our politicians and their staff. The lack of political HR, we discussed that today. And you're driving through the countryside, ever wondered, gosh, there are quite a few radiata pines in New Zealand outside the forestries. Well, a new study has found that radiata pines are pervasively invading the country. Also on the panel at the end of the program, did you know that you can eat acorns? I was stunned when I heard this. Do you eat acorns? Have you? Uh, And 25 years ago, Princess Diana was killed in a car crash. Those old enough will know exactly where they were and what they were doing at the time. Get in touch with me if you recall. I would love to hear from you. Text me 2101. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz. I was in a very unusual place when I first heard Princess Diana had died. I'll tell you when and where it was at uh, 25 past four. With me this afternoon, Joe McCarroll, editor of NZ Gardener. Kia ora, Joe. Lovely to have you on. Kia ora, Wallace. And look what you've bought for me. Look, on the radio. A jar of gherkins. A jar of gherkins. <laughs> uh, I, yesterday, of course, I complained that I can't, you, you can't open them. I've got a jar sitting in my cupboard for three months, can't open it. Uh, and I was very sorry for your troubles. Yeah. And also, um, I grow gherkins in my garden oh my and gosh. pickle oh. them. And I thought I'll bring Wallace a, as just to, to assuage. The, the troubles you're Good facing, you. Wallace, uh, Jared. Okay, Gerkins. so gift number one with us also, Mark Sainsbury, commentator, broadcaster, former political editor. What do you have for me, Mark? Well, <laughs> I've brought you nothing, but I will yeah. ask Joe to open the jar before you leave the studio, <laughs> if that's not too much trouble. Yeah. All right, so both <laughs> our panellists are here now. She's been described as perhaps the greatest athlete of all time. Her legacy will remain in sport for 100, 200 years. Such has been her influence. Serena Williams played the US Open today. Thousands queued up. Tickets up to $9,000. Rick Macy is a legendary tennis coach, coaching some of the world's greatest players. Andy Roddick, Jennifer Capriati, Maria Sharapova, and Rick coached Venus and Serena Williams and was recently immortalised in the film King Richard. I spoke to Rick Macy as he watched Serena at the US Open. Yes, I'm uh, in someone's suite and uh, uh, watching her play. It's been a crazy day. There's a packed house and, uh, and everybody's... Uh, you know, pumped up. This is like uh, amazing. For someone who has uh, coached her from the start, what does watching her now mean to you, Rick? Well, you know, she won her first Grand Slam at the U.S. Open. Uh, she's going to end it here. You know, what a way to put a bow around your career. But she's happy, you know, and as long as she's happy with her decision, um, you know, I'm happy because she's given us like three weeks' notice. You know, and everybody's got to savor this. You got to remember, this is the greatest female tennis player ever to hold a racket. In my opinion, the greatest female athlete we've ever seen because no one's dominated, you know, like 
Serena Williams. She checked every box, speed, quickness, agility, the best serve ever. Uh, she, she was number one in the world at age 35. But it's that Compton Street fight, you know, where she could dig deep and win the big points. And to play for 25 years, we've all been fortunate. And uh, as I tell everybody, you know, Richard and Orsine hit the genetic jackpot. <laughs> we'll never see an athlete. Uh, in the game of tennis, like Serena Williams. Wow. Yeah, and you were immortalized in the film King Richard. Um, c- can you just take us back to how you first came into contact with the Williams sisters, Rick? Yeah, no, it was 1991, just like yesterday. Richard Williams called me up on the phone on the phone, and because uh, he knew I coached Jennifer Capriotti, who was, you know, at 12 years old, she won the national 18th, and at 14, she was top 10 in the world on the pro tour. So, you know, he heard my name. He called me up, said he had two daughters, wanted me to come to Compton, you know? And I said, well, the only thing I knew about Compton was riots and stuff like that. And he said, Hey Rick, if you come out, I promise you won't get shot. I mean, he was a really funny guy, you know? And, uh, you know, Venus and uh, was undefeated in the 10 and unders. There was like an article in the New York times. So, you know, I heard of her, but I never went to see a player. They either came to the Academy or I had him at a ju- I saw him at a junior tournament. So I just decided, and I have no idea why I did this. I just decided I'm going to go out there. I mean, I've never done that, and I haven't done it since. Wow. And I'm probably the only guy in the world that uh, their best vacation ever was Compton, California. But to continue the story, um, when we first got on the court, for the first hour, I didn't see it. Arms, legs, hair, beads flying off their head. I didn't see it. Remember, I had Capriotti. She was poetry in motion. Yeah. No one had a blueprint for greatness. No one had a blueprint for greatness better than Rick Macy, probably in the whole world. But then when we started playing competitive points, me and Serena against Venus, the whole landscape changed. They started popping the popcorn, extra butter. The footwork got so much better. The preparation better, but the wild card, the burning desire. There was a rage. There was a rage inside both these two little girls that I never saw in my life. They ran so hard to get to a ball, they almost fell down. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be great. Yeah. But I'm sitting there going, there's something when we said game on, it changed. And right then, I said, I told Richard, I said, come here. I said, it was more about Venus because she was older. I said, listen, you got the next female Michael Jordan on your hand. And that's in the movie. Yeah. And he puts his arm around me. Goes, no, brother, man. I got the next two. But at a young age, what I saw in Serena was she had all the time in the world. What I meant is she never looked rushed. And that's an innate genetic quality. And she knew where you were going to hit the ball before you did. But like I said, the wild card, she was like a pit bull. When she got a hold of you, she wasn't going to let go. And these are the qualities I saw at 9 and 10. And then as she matured, you could see where this was going. And, uh, it's, it's amazing. No one's more proud of her than no one's more proud of her than Rick Macy. Yeah, I'm just amazing. I'm speaking to the legendary tennis coach Rick Macy, who's watching Serena Williams right now as we speak. Can I just ask you how tough was it for the sisters in those early days? Some of the crowds they encountered, uh, Rick, pretty mean spirited. In fact, quite cruel. <laughs> Listen, everybody's sensitive, but these two girls were bulletproof. That's why I took the chance. They mentally were so strong and that was that was baked in extra crispy from birth <laughs> until i came in at age nine and you know i funded the project and 
you know, they needed advanced coaching and we had taekwondo, ballet, hitting partners, you name it. And, uh, yeah, but I don't think that bothered them, you know, because yeah. they knew they were going into a predominantly white sport, me against the world, Muhammad Ali stuff. And the dad, you know, trained them for this. And some people you can go the other way, but they were bulletproof. And obviously, they're, in my opinion, in my opinion, they're the two greatest players of all time. And uh, if there wasn't any Serena, who knows? Venus might have 30 Grand Slams. Yeah, it's it's such an honour talking with you. Um, thanks so much for taking the time out for us, uh, Rick, because I know you're busy watching Serena Williams uh, as we speak. But just, just finally, um, you must be so proud of her. Will you get a chance after her match to, you know, say hi? Yeah, no, listen, I got, uh, you know, when after the red carpet and the after party, I got to catch up with her and Venus. We spent all, you know, night together, laughing, crying, going back down memory lane. Yeah. She's one of the most nicest, you know, people you'd ever want to meet. And I need to mention this, that people don't understand every night after practice, she would say, thank you, Rick, very much, and give me a hug. You got to understand and they brought their books to the court. And when it rained, they went up in my office and studied. So the life lessons that they learned at a young age, um, they're like two peas in a pod and two sisters like we've never seen on and off the court. I'll let you get back to the game, Rick. Thank you very much for joining us here in New Zealand. All right. Thank you so much. All right, so that was uh, Rick Macy, the legendary tennis coach who uh, coached Venus and Serena Williams from a, from a very young age uh, at the US Open when we were talking to him just a couple of hours ago. And by the way, Serena Williams got through the first round in straight sets, 6-3, a 6-3 against Danko Kovinic of Montenegro. Extraordinary stuff, Joe. Just extraordinary. What I a mean, story. incredible. It's just incredible to think of her, what she has achieved in yeah. her life when she's not even that old. Yeah. Mark? Yeah, the interesting thing is, of course, Wallace, a lot of people say, well, look at Margaret Court, the Aussie player, who won one more major, 24 majors, so she won 64 altogether with doubles. But it's the character of the person. Margaret Court turned into quite a controversial figure. She became a born-again Christian. She at times had praised the apartheid regime in South Africa. She hit out at um, um, you know, other tennis players who were gay, saying they weren't good role models. But you, 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 and listening was a great interview. I really enjoyed that interview with Rick because she is the whole package. I'd also say Margaret Court played at a very different time. Yes. I mean, so few players would have had access to the international competition at that time. Yeah, but she dominated, if you look in terms of how she dominated dominated the game. I mean, there were still some pretty handy ones. But I, I guess what and I'm Billie coming Jean, to, Joe... Billie Jean, Billie Jean King was her competitor, wasn't it? Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, and she also had a few things to say about Martina as well, yeah. which sort of weren't particularly kind. But you look at you look at what Venus, uh, like Serena and Venus have both done. It's, it's extraordinary. It, it's just... It, it's it, just and, and, and as Joe says, in this context, I mean, she is just an amazing, an amazing player and did so much for tennis and, and dare I say it, race relations as well. But she was just yeah. right on their face. Very good. All right. So that um, uh, was Rick Macy there, the, the coach who trained uh, Venus and Serena Williams from a young age. Now, by the way, a lot of response coming through about where you were. A lot of response uh, when Princess Diana died. Wallace, I was a student working at my nighttime job at a pizza place in La Casa Lower Hart. I remember all of us hearing it on the radio and all of us being stunned. Time for I've Been Thinking, Joe McCarroll. 
Well, I've been thinking a lot because I've been at the Auckland Writers Fest, which is um, really great for you know bringing new perspectives to you and making you think a bit differently and put some thought into things you don't normally think about. And one of the sessions I went to, which was excellent, was um, Dame Margaret Sparrow, who is a personal hero of mine, um, a medical doctor who has worked for about 50 years um, for sexual health and reproductive rights um, for people in New Zealand. And that was in the Kiritakanawa Theatre at the Aotea Centre, which is, I think, it's a couple of thousand people or so. Um, and that would have been, I'd say, maybe 80% full. And um, I looked around, and there's hundreds and hundreds of people. I might have been able to see a dozen men, and the rest were probably women. The, the rest were women. And I thought that was um, that was a shame. I mean, in my life, um, I haven't really felt reproductive freedoms were, were quite under so much threat as they are now. Um, and in general... Women don't get pregnant by themselves, and yet it's still seen as this exclusively female issue. Thought it was a bit of a shame. I'd love to go to an event like that and see, you know, a few more men showing up because Dame Mar- Margaret Sparrow is amazing, and you would have been fascinated at what she had to say. Got a joke. All right. Um, Mark Sainsbury, I've been thinking. Well, it's interesting going from one extraordinary woman in Dame Margaret Sparrow to another one. Of course, it was Princess Diana. And even before I knew we were going to talk about this today, um, Wallace, this is what I've been thinking about. Because 25 years ago, I was a TVNZ foreign correspondent in London. And I, right. rem- and I remember so clearly Garth Bray rang me about midnight on a Sunday night said, look, there's been some report, you know, from AFP saying Princess Diana's been in a car crash in Paris. And we were just really, really nervous about this because it had been that false report had been put out by Sky saying the Queen Mother had died, you know, because someone uh-huh. saw it and rang their friends in Australia and told them. So we're just very gun-shy about anything like this, you know, and it just seemed so extraordinary. And I remember during the night there was almost black humour sort of, you know, was sort of coming into it. We thought it was just so odd. But as the night went on, it became more and more apparent. And I remember going down to Buckingham Palace and just the tension. It was just unreal. All these people, this is the early hours of the morning, and all these people had got there and they were the, if you like, not the dispossessed, but it was the people who felt felt themselves outside of British society. You know, there was just a lot of ethnic minorities, different people who identified with Diana. She was their hero because she, like them, was an outsider. And it started off, which we'll talk about later, this extraordinary sort of change of events. In fact, when I went down there to do a live cross... Yeah. Um, the crowd was getting angry because the reports had come through about you know, the paparazzi being chasing her. And so there was an NBC guy trying to do a live cross before me, and they started yelling out, Murderer! Murderer! You killed her! You in the media! And I thought, oh my God, I'm up next. Is this looking flash? And the, the British police are just so effective in terms of just dealing with stuff. They came in Amazing. on horses, moved everyone back, set up the live positions where we were for about the next, you know, about a week and a half. But... One of the most extraordinary nights of my life, Wallace, and, wow. and it was just it was, it was just unbelievable. Well, we'll hear from two people who uh, recall where and when they were when uh, Diana died. Wallace, I was with my wife at the Bromley Dump in Christchurch, emptying our trailer of garden rubbish when we finally had died. Total strangers were just telling each other, then going back to what we were doing. Another one here, very strange, I'll never forget it. In a bar, Fiji, Sean Fitzpatrick came over to our table and told us the tragic news. Um, text me, 2101, email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Joe McCarroll and Mark Sainsbury with me this afternoon on The Panel.